You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Take a seat. Good morning, church. My name's Austin. So excited to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. Verses 18 through 27. I like the energy about First John. We, uh, I just love the heart of this church as well. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been walking through the book of First John for the past couple weeks, just going verse by verse. And I, I really believe it's been so helpful for us as a, as a church community to go through this book. Well, for Christmas, my parents bought my wife and I uh, tickets to a Texas Tech basketball game and just happened to be this Monday and uh, this past Monday. And so we, uh, after work around five, you know, we're getting uh, our tech gear on and getting excited for the game. And I was, I'm like a little kid when it comes to tech games, like just super hype. And for this one, especially um, of the chance to go undefeated at home, just like so excited to be at this game. And so uh, we get to the stadium, or the arena as quickly as we could and um, realize as we get there, like, whoa, these tickets are, are really low. And so like lower than we've ever been in this, this arena. And so we start to work our way down to the bottom and, and the game's like about to start. And we finally get to our seats, like, okay, we're good. And right as the game starts, I turn to my right and there's a K-State fan sitting next to me. And I immediately was so frustrated and so annoyed. I was like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. Like all game, I have this guy sitting next to me. And I I really think he was the only K-State fan in the entire arena, like the only one there. And so my mind goes worst case scenario, like this guy is going to be their biggest fan, right? He's traveled. He's here. He's going to, he's going to be so loud. He's going to boo against us. And most importantly, he's going to be in my face the whole game. Just, just letting us know. And if there's any chance that they win, I'm never going to live this down, right? Because I, I have to sit next to this guy the entire game. But as the game began, it became kind of confusing who this guy was actually rooting for, like what, what side he was for. He never like stood up and jumped for K-State when they, when they took the lead or they had a good play. He never booed at the refs or the tech fans. And, and most importantly, he never got in my face, right? He never like screamed at me for, for being a tech fan. He actually really just blended in like with everybody else, just sitting there enjoying the game. But at the end of the game, when Tech finally figured it out and said, hey, we're gonna win this. We're gonna go undefeated at home. Uh, a few seconds left on the clock, like it was clear. They're gonna win. This guy quickly grabbed all of his stuff, got up and got out of the arena, right? And it became very evident in that moment. Okay, clearly he was a K-State fan because there wasn't a Tech fan moving in that moment. Like we were pumped and excited to celebrate with our team for their success at home. And I share that because this morning, John is gonna kind of introduce to us an idea of really the difference between a true follower of Christ and those that aren't true, those that aren't real. And what we're gonna see very quickly as we read through this passage is that there were those just like this fan that were in the crowd. They were cheering, they were, they were praising God, celebrating him. But after a time, they were exposed to not be truly a part of the rest of them. And so John is gonna really walk this through of what, what happens here when this group of people went from being a part of the body 
but then eventually left. And so if you're with me in verse 18, this is where he goes. It says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. In verse 26 and 27, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you everything and is true and is no lie, just as it taught you, abide in him. And so as we read this passage, it's really easy to get nervous and caught up in this idea of the Antichrist, right? Like we all just kind of like laser focus on that idea. What does that mean? Who is he talking about? And as I really studied this passage and began to talk with other pastors and, and read scholars that heavily study this text, they would say that's not what it's really about that the focus is not on the Antichrist there. And so I think for a moment, we're gonna talk about it, it's important, but we can all kind of just take a deep breath, right? Like, okay, this is not the focus of this passage, even though it's mentioned. But it's clear in verse 19 that at one time, there was a group of people who today we would say they were a member of a small group. They were plugged in at the church, right? They were there every Sunday. They probably even took notes during the sermon. They, for the most part, looked like a Christian. And, and similar to the K-State fan, they blended in with the rest. But as time began and move on, eventually they were exposed to not truly be followers. And instead of just being passive and saying, hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be about this anymore, John says they actually began to go against the body. And so he calls them the Antichrist, that these false teachers would begin to oppose and go against the body of the Christ. And so John makes a clear distinction very quickly to say, hey, you're either with Christ or you're against him. Even if you're a passive person that says, oh, I'm not gonna say anything about your faith, but you're either with Christ or you're against him. This is the distinction he makes very clear. And so as I studied this passage this week, what I think John is really trying to teach us here in these few verses is the difference between a true follower of Christ and those that aren't. In other words, someone that's genuine about their faith and then the Antichrist. Like the distinction that he's mentioning. And so this morning, we're gonna see as we navigate through this text, three distinctions of what a true follower of Christ would look like. 
And so throughout this passage, uh, John uses the same word that he uses in his gospel, the word abide. Your translation may use the word remain or live. And so this morning, we're gonna see three ways that true followers of Christ live. What do they look like? What's the mark of a true follower of Christ? Number one, if you're taking notes, true followers of Christ live by the truth that Jesus is the son of God. We live by the truth that Jesus is the son of God. And we're gonna kind of work our way through different parts of this passage to to see these points that he indicates to us. Verse 22, he says, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist. He who denies the father and the son. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. And so John would say, the antichrist are liars because they deny the fundamental belief that Jesus is the son of God. And so many commentators think as John's writing this, that most likely the antichrist at this time was the Gnostic community. That the the spirit of the enemy was in this Gnostic community and the Gnostic community had this idea that God would never inhabit a human body, that Jesus simply was not God in the flesh. And so basically they would say that Jesus' death and sufferings on the cross were a waste, that that he didn't need to die because he was not God, that it was a waste of time. And so these people would go against the very heart of the incarnation and then they would mock believers for it that they would say, what you're, what you're believing is a lie. It's a joke. It's, it's a waste of time. You're believing something that's not true. And so this idea, this truth, this belief that Jesus is the son of God, I would say is one of probably the most biggest issue of Christian doctrine, the biggest issue of Christian doctrine. So if we get this wrong, we've missed everything. Like if we do not believe that Jesus is the son of God, then we have missed everything. And so true followers of Christ know and believe that Jesus is the son of God. We didn't make this up, but we believe this based on what God's word says. And if you're taking notes, you could write these verses down. We see this in passages like John 3, 16, Colossians 1, 2 Timothy 2, 5, 1 John 1, 9, and so many others that we see that throughout scripture that God sent his one and only son here to earth to live a sinless, perfect life. And then eventually his life led to a cross that John would say that he gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, right? Paid our sins that we did not have to take on the punishment that we rightly deserved, but Jesus took it for us that the only way that was possible is for Jesus to be fully God and fully man. That he had the power to die and take on our sins, but also have the power to resurrect from the grave. This is the truth that John is indicating for believers that is foundational. This is where we start, that Jesus is the son of God. And so I love what one commentary says. He says, if Jesus is not fully God, then we have no salvation. 
We ultimately have no Christianity. We have no hope. And so the next two things we're about to talk about would be pointless without Jesus. Life would be pointless without Jesus. And so that's why John says, if you deny that Jesus is the son, then you deny the father. They go together. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot get to the father without going through the son. And so I like to think about it this way. If you were to say, man, I really like Austin. He seems like a great guy, but I can't stand his wife. Then I would say, you, you reject me, right? If, if you, you can't go with her, then you can't go with me. The same is true with the son and the father. They go together. And so this weekend, this past weekend, at, uh, we had United Weekend for our middle school and high school students. Talked about it a little bit last week in the service. And man, it was an incredible weekend. I wish I could just sit here and tell you all about God did this past weekend. But during the weekend, one of the things that we had planned in the schedule was to have uh, basically a track for guys and girls that we would bring in members of our church to come and answer any questions that the students had. Some of these members were, were pastors or, or just people that, that we thought were pursuing after God faithfully. And so in the guys' track time, one of the questions that was asked is, why do you believe what you believe? <laughs> and there was a moment like every single boy, like even if they weren't paying attention, they're on their phone, like everyone in that moment took a breath, like, leaned in for a second, like, oh, snap. Like, and all the panelists kind of look around at each other, like, okay, who, who's gonna take this question on? Like, cause this is not a yes, no, or maybe. This is like the most important question ever of why do you believe what you believe? What have you built your life on? What have you changed your life for and given everything to? And like, pretty impressed for a student to ask this question, right? Like, I wanna know who this student was. Incredible question. But even as I say that now, like if you're like me at all, you kind of get nervous when that question comes. Like I got nervous for the panelists because it's like, how do you answer that big of a question in maybe two minutes? And, and maybe even convince the student of I believe this with everything, right? That it's changed my life. And so as I wrestled with that question, this really this whole week of thinking about that, like, what do I truly believe? And it really all comes down to this. I believe what I believe because of what scripture says about Jesus. Most importantly, over everything else, we could talk a lot about our faith, a lot about other distinctions and parts of it that are so important. But more importantly, above everything else is who scripture says Jesus to be. That if we miss that we miss everything. And so the most important decision you can make in your life is who you say Jesus to be in your heart. And so is he a good person? Is he a prophet? Is he just a fictional character that somehow gets kept, that's still talked about for just so on, like throughout the world? Or is he the son of God that gave his life for you and me? Who you say Jesus is, is the difference between every major world religion. And ultimately who you say Jesus is, is the difference between life forever with God or life forever without him. Who you say Jesus is matters 
And so the Antichrist, this, this Gnostic community, by rejecting Jesus, they would reject their own sinfulness and their need for forgiveness. And by denying God the Son, they would deny access to God the Father. And the same is true for every person today here on earth. That if you deny Jesus, you deny your own sinfulness, your own need for forgiveness, but most importantly, you deny access to the Father. That you cannot get to God without going through Jesus. And so true followers of Christ know that the truth is that Jesus is the Son of God. That that is our eternal security, that he is our hope. The song we just sang, that he changes everything. That without Jesus, we have nothing. The second thing we see is that true followers of Christ live by the Holy Spirit. John, John makes this clear that true followers of Christ live by the Holy Spirit. We see this in a couple of different verses. First in verse 20, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. In other words, by the Holy Spirit. And you have all knowledge. <coughs> Excuse me. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Then if you'll look down at verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing, in other words, the Holy Spirit that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing, as the Holy Spirit teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so when someone places their trust in Jesus, making him their Lord and Savior, scripture says that immediately they are anointed or filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into their life. And scripture outlines for us that the Spirit works as a comforter, as a guide, as our conviction, as our direction. We see this in John 14, John 15, Acts 2, Romans 8, and many other passages that here John is indicating to us that the Spirit also, guide, also works as our wisdom, as our spiritual discernment to know what is true and false, what is right and wrong, where you should go and, and where you shouldn't. And so the Antichrist that John's talking about, are, the spirit of them is still here today, right? We, we believe the enemy is still working. We're in the last hour that, that John talks about in the beginning of these verses. And so the enemy hates you, right? The enemy is constantly working against the spirit in your life, trying to convince you to go the opposite direction, to do the other things than what the spirit is speaking into your life. And most importantly, the spirit is trying to convince you that, you being here today is a waste of time, that it's a joke, that, that you should be still in bed, right? Like you're wasting your time being here. The, the enemy is going to try to lead us to put our focus, our energy and time in any place other than here, anything other than devotion to God. The enemy is still working and moving. Some of you may be wrestling with that today, that you didn't wanna come here today and that you're fighting with spiritual warfare. It happens to us all the time that we're deceived and led astray by the enemy, but the spirit guides. So it, that's what John says, the spirit guides, guides us to get up, 
to come to church today, to, to not go there, to don't do that, don't watch that, or to do that, to, to say that, to help that person. Now, we don't always listen to the Spirit, right? We aren't always guided by the Spirit. We often go on our own way and, and follow our own path. But the mark of someone who's not a true follower of Christ, that's not a believer, is someone that has no voice of direction in their life at all. They're following whatever they want to do. They're following the counsel of the world. They have no guidance. They do not have the voice of the Spirit in their life. And so I, I think that honestly, it's pretty easy to come here every Sunday to raise your hands and worship and to go to a small group and answer the right questions and, and act like you're, you're living this out, but you cannot pretend to have the spirit of God in your life, right? You cannot pretend that he's guiding and leading you. And John says that after a time, those that do not truly have God in their life, that haven't truly accepted Jesus, they will be exposed. That it will be very clear who's following him and who's not, because you can't pretend to have the spirit of God in your life and guiding you. And so the spirit never leaves a true follower of Christ. That should be comforting to us. That once we've accepted Jesus, we have the spirit working in us forever. But I do think we, we should be cautious that we can block out the voice of the spirit in our life. That we get to a point that, that we're running so far from God that we get to a point that we don't hear God's voice in our life. And so I, I think about it this way, and this may make sense to you, but growing up as a kid, my mom would tell me things all the time. Hey, Austin, don't go there. Austin, you shouldn't do that. Austin, don't touch that, right? It's gonna hurt you. And the more and more I heard that encouragement, the more and more I wanted to go against it for some reason. There, there was something in, sinfully in me that was just wrong. And so I became very numb to the encouragement of my parents. And in the same way, I think we can become numb to the voice of the spirit in our life. That almost to a point that we don't hear it anymore. We're still a Christian. We're still going to church. We're pursuing God. We, we at least we think, but we're following our own ways. The spirit is not truly guiding us because we've blocked out his voice. And church, that's a very dangerous place to be. I've found myself there countless times where I've had to say, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm following my own way. I, I've blocked out your voice. Would you speak to me in a way that I can hear you today? Please help me. This is a dangerous place to be. And so maybe as we walk through this morning, you need to evaluate your life of, am I hearing the spirit? Am I guided by it or am I following my own way? And so the evidence of a true follower of Christ is one that's guided by the spirit. They follow his conviction. They follow his direction. They follow his encouragement. And I, I heard someone say recently that the mark of a true believer that, that's growing in their faith, there, there's maturity taking place, is someone that hears the guidance of the spirit and then they act on it almost immediately. Right? That's someone that's growing in their faith. They can discern what is the spirit's voice and what is not and then they quickly act on his guidance. Number three, we'll, we'll close with this. True followers of Christ live by and in the word of God. They live by and in the word of God. 
We see this in verse 24. Let what you heard, meaning the, the teachings of God's word, let what you heard from the beginning when you have accepted Christ, abide or remain or live in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And so John's saying here that true Christians are faithful to the word of God. They read it, they know it, and they meditate it. And then from that time with God, they go and live by it. That the truth impacts the way that they live. That because of time with God, we look different because of it. And so it's through the word of God that the fellowship of God the Son and God the Father occurs. And I love one commentator said, I believe the word and the spirit must be the battle cry of every generation of those who follow Jesus if they're to abide in the Son and in the Father. And so God has given us both the spirit and his word to fight off the lies and the deceivers of this world. But I wanna say this very clearly. If you are not in the word of God, spending time in it, knowing what the truth is, you will be easily led astray. You will fall to false teachings. You will fall to another truth of this world that looks really attractive. That's gonna lead to great consequences because you're not living in the truth of God's word. And so multiple studies have come out recently that over the past two to three years, that Bible reading in America has increased, which is, which is great, right? That should be encouraging. Bible reading in America has increased. I want you to think about that. Why would Bible reading just randomly increase in the past two to three years? All of us were forced to stop, right? All of us had to work from home, which is, which is kind of just like halfway working, not a lot, at least for me, really got done when you're halfway working from home and Netflix is on the TV in the background, right? But all of us were forced to stop. And so the, for the first time in a long time, people grabbed that dusty Bible off the shelf and said, I actually have time to do this. Like I've wanted to do this. I've desired to spend time with God. And now I have all the time in the world. And Bible reading increased because of that. And my prayer is that would continue. But I think probably what will happen in two to three years from now, we'll get that same study will be released. And it's gonna say that Bible reading has decreased in America. Why? Because life started back again, right? The machine of every day of getting back to the grind, the busyness of our schedules, the, the same habits that we had before, all of those things are back again in the busyness of life struck. But if we're truly following Christ, we need to take time daily to stop and to spend time in his word. And so I believe this so strongly that if we are too busy to spend time with God, then something is wrong. We are simply too busy. And so whether it's our work, whether it's our hobbies, whether it's our family time, whether it's the hours we're sending on, on social media scrolling, Something is wrong with our method of every day. Our, our priorities are out of whack and something needs to change. 
And so I don't want you to feel shame for that this morning. That, that's, that's not my goal. I know so often we can come to church and hear a pastor say, hey, hey, read your Bible. If you've been in church forever, like most of your life, you've heard that your entire life. Hey, you should read your Bible. And so I don't want you to feel shame if you're not doing that, but I do want to remind you why. Why is it so important that we're in God's word? Spending time in God's word is refreshment for our weary souls. So that we, when we take time to stop, we get refreshed by the word of God, by being in his presence. I like to think about it this way. And maybe this doesn't relate to you at all, and I'm sorry, but this is how it connects with me. When I have a really bad headache, if I can get a Dr. Pepper in my hand, it changes everything, right? Refreshment immediately. But more importantly than refreshment, spending time in God's word is connection. It's connection with our creator. And so whether you spend time in the morning before the busyness of the day in God's word, or whether you find a few minutes at, at your lunch break or whenever it is, what you're communicating to God is you're, in more, you're more important right now. As I stop, the, the busyness of the to-do list can wait because you're more important. And also I believe you're in control of all of it. You've got it, God. You, when you stop scrolling on Instagram, you're communicating to God, I need you more than I need to check on everybody's story and see what everybody's doing. When you stop taking a few minutes on Netflix and binge watching your favorite show, you're communicating to God, I need you more than I need this. But I understand being in your word is gonna bring me more refreshment and more connection than anything else can. God, I need you. And so it shouldn't be something that we just do once a day or excuse me, once a week, like as we come every Sunday and we spend a few minutes in God's word, shouldn't it be something we do a couple times a month. I truly believe that you should try to spend every day with God. And that's not out of legalism or just because I'm a pastor saying that, but I've seen in so many people's life what happens when they go from not spending any time to God to spending moments every single day with God. Something about their life shifts because they've spent time with the creator. And so that's the evidence of a true believer is someone that's spending time in God's word. But there can be a pressing question of where do I start? Like, I, I don't really know how to read God's word. Like we, we read some of these passages and we talk about the antichrist and I don't know what to do with that, right? Like, where do I start? And for the sake of time, I had some other things I wanted to say about this. But in the most loving way, I think that's a lie from the enemy that I don't know where to start or I don't really know how to read scripture. I think that's a lie that the enemy uses to keep us from reading God's word. And so my encouragement to you would be start somewhere. Start tomorrow with one chapter a day and add some kind of devotion or commentary that can guide you through that. We have we, we have the most access to God's word and, and commentaries and, and devotional help than anywhere else in the world, any time other in the world. Even on your phone, YouVersion Bible Plan has thousands, countless of plans that can guide you through God's word. And so to say you don't know how or to say you, you really can't do it is a lie that the enemy is working in your life to keep you from God's word. True believers, what is evident to the world is that when we spend time in God's word, it's evident to the rest of the people around us that we have spent time with God. 
And so in summary, this morning from this passage from 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27, we see that a true follower of Christ is someone who lives by the truth that Jesus is the son of God. That is their foundation. And they live by the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they live in and by the word of God. Those are the three things that Paul lists to us. These are indications from those that are against Christ. This is true followers. These are who are not. And so I wanna close with this this morning. For believers in the room, if you would say, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I believe I'm a true follower of Christ. I would ask, how are you doing when it comes to listening to the guidance of the spirit in your life? Are you following the guidance of the spirit to the best of your ability or have you become numb to his encouragement and to his voice in your life? Or are you just simply following your own way, following your own direction and guidance? And then also I would ask you to just take a moment to consider, are you living in and by the word of God? Is the truth of God by the time that, that you're taking daily to stop do you have that time? Do you, have you created a habit of daily being in God's word? And so maybe you take a moment in our time of response to reflect on those things, to, to, to apologize to God that I've not been guided by your spirit. I haven't been living in your word, but God, would you help me tomorrow to start, to be different, to, to really show the world that I'm about this, that I want to be in for the long run. but what you build your life on matters. And as we said earlier, who you say Jesus to be is what's most important. Jesus is the firm foundation for when the storms of life come, when death, illness, whatever happens, you can cling to the truth of Jesus because you know you've built your life on him. You've been guided by the spirit and built on the truth of his word. And we're about to sing that very thing here in a moment. That when everything else fails, you can cling to Jesus because he will not fail you. And so if there's one person here this morning that hasn't built their life on Jesus, hasn't trusted him as their savior, I would beg you and pray and plead that you would go all in with Jesus today. Like what's holding you back from, from giving in to, to trusting in Jesus as your savior? It's the greatest decision that you could make with your life. And so I wanna finish with this quote from the Christ-centered exposition by, by Daniel Aiken. It says that, Christ is Christianity itself. He stands not outside of it, but in its center. Without him, his name, person, and work, there is no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point out the way to salvation. He is the way itself. This is what the apostles taught. This is what the word says. And this is what the spirit affirms. This is what we believe. This is where we abide. And this is what we confess, eternal life is what we're promised. And so as we pray and respond to God's word, there'll be people here at the front that would love to pray and talk with you. And we pray and we'll respond to Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that through you, we can receive access to the Father to talk to him, to hear from him and to be guided by him. We thank you for your life. 
changes everything for us. And so God, I pray for the believers in the room this morning that they, they would do business with you. That maybe they're not guided by the spirit or not truly living in your word. Would you convict them of that? And would you begin to help them and show them a better way? And God, if there's one this morning that hasn't trusted in you, hasn't built their life on you as their savior, I pray that you might stir their heart to accept you this morning. We worship you in song now. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 